0: Hallelujah. Um, well, thank you so much. What a great introduction. Um, so I brought gifts today for the mothers. Um, well, I didn't bring them. The women of, uh, lead women of valor did. So um, the ushers are going to hand out chocolate, bags of chocolate, chocolate. So if you are a mother, if you are a mother, a wannabe mother, a stepmom, grandma, if, if, if you have children in your life, I want you to stand. Aunt. Some aunts have been mamas. So, okay, guys. So, wherever you see women standing, give them a bag of candy. Go ahead. Hallelujah. So, um, I know Christine over here. Christine had six kids, uh, right? You had six. Um, where's Wendy? Is Wendy here today? She's sick. Oh, that's a bummer to be sick. But you guys had seven? Eight kids. Anybody can beat eight kids? Oh, well, yes, 10, is that 10? Ten? 10, 10 kids, wow. Give her two bags of chocolate back there. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. And then we've got a newborn mama back here, Olivia, got, got their newborn baby. So once you receive your candy, you can sit down. So she gets two bags too, because she's a, guys right here, don't forget, right here in the middle. Good, got Robin over here. Awesome. Awesome. How many of you mamas would do it all over again? Today you would. Right. I'll ask you again in a week or two and see how that see how that's going. But um, it's just a great privilege to be a mother. Um you know, I think God knew what he was doing. Obviously, duh. Do you ever go, God, do you know what you're doing? I have. I've said many times before, you know, okay, hey God, right now would be a good time for you to show up and show yourself strong. And then that moment passes and, and you know, nothing happened, nothing changed. And I went, well, you missed that, God. And uh, so if I finally, finally I wised up and I realized, you know what, I am not God. And you ought to thank God that I'm not God. Um, I know pastor thanks God that I'm not God, Um, at least with a big G instead of a little G. But, you know, there's just times in our lives as mothers that we're like, you know, God, right now would be a great time, you know, and then that moment passes. And and so we just had, we, we learn, I think mothers are, mothers have the greatest faith than anyone in all the world. Um, I think that, that they have, you know, they, they're, first of all, they're carrying this, this child in their womb for nine months and they have great faith to believe that this child is going to come out healthy, that this child is going to be, um, going to grow up and be the smartest child in all the world and grow up and become president or or whatever an astronaut we've had our granddaughter with us this week and i've been asking her i said rona what do you want to be when you grow up i want to be everything so of course you do you know (laughs) that's just who you are but you know it's just i think that mothers um have great faith and they've had to just i think god put that within them to have that within them because they, they just believe so much. I mean, they look at this little baby and they just believe the best. And then that little baby turns five and starts talking back to them. And, and you just believe that, okay, that's going to become a good point in their life. And so you believe the best about And then they become teenagers. And then you really stretch your faith out there. And you're like, yes, okay, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to make these a lot more than what I've ever been. And then they become adults. And then... They, somewhere around 34, 35, 36, they turn around, they come back and they say, Mama, you're the smartest woman in all the world. Okay, what happened between 5 and 34, 37? I mean, I was dumb during those times. I don't know. But at any rate, so so happy Mother's Day to you all. This morning, as when Pastor asked me to uh, minister the word this morning, I... Um, I immediately knew what it was I wanted to minister. A few weeks ago on Facebook, I know, they're like, oh, we're getting our messages from Facebook now. No, but there was something on Facebook that um, Stephen Furtick had put up with um, T.D. Jakes. I don't know if you, if you guys saw it, but he had T.D. Jakes sitting in front of him in front of their church, and he, he says, what we're going to do is we're going to play a game, and he says, going to ask you Um, how many of you have ever seen the play Hamilton or the movie Hamilton? Okay. Um, he said, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to name a song out of Hamilton and I want you to, uh, preach a little mini sermon on it. And so he named the songs, which I didn't, I haven't seen the movie or seen the play. But at one point he came to this one, he said, he said, the title of the song is Who's in the Room With You? and td jakes went to us he went to a couple of scenes and preached i don't know if you've ever heard td jakes preach but he can preach i i cannot preach like that but i want to take that concept of who's in the room with you that christ is always present i know we come to church and we sing songs about send your glory send your presence send your grace but this is the thing as believers Christ is always present with us always present with us his presence is forever with us and so i was just looking at a few scriptures and uh, of accounts of Jesus being present in a room And what happened when he was present in the room. room. And whenever we start acknowledging that Christ is always present with me. You know, the scripture tells us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, the spirit of Christ dwells in me. And so when that happens, when when I start acknowledging that Christ is present with me in the room, things begin to happen. Yes. And in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, and you can look this up, write this down, I hope that just because the pastor's not preaching this way doesn't mean you don't you can't you don't have to take notes. You should take notes. Okay. So in the book of Mark, chapter five, we have an account of Jesus. He's on his way. He's been very busy. He's been out ministering, and he's on his way, and this this uh, ruler comes up to him, and his name is Jairus, and he says, he says, would, he says, would you come? My daughter is dying. She's sick. Would you come and heal her? And Jesus said, I will. So they start along their journey towards Jairus' house, and along the journey, they get bottlenecked into this crowd of people that are just coming up to jesus thronging against jesus and in the middle of that throng there's a woman who is crawling on her hands and knees to get to the hem of jesus because she heard that if i could just touch him i know that i could be healed She heard if you could get into the presence of Christ, you will be made whole. This is a desperate woman. She had been bleeding for 12 years. She had been on her menstrual cycle for 12 years. How many of you women say, oh, my gosh, God bless her. She needed a miracle, spent all of her money on doctors, and they were no help. But she had heard, she had heard, if I could just get to Jesus, I would be holy. So here she is, by all rights, she shouldn't even be in the crowd because she's cursed, because she's been bleeding. She shouldn't even be in the presence of a man, let alone be out in the crowd. But here she comes along and she's on her hands and knees and she's crawling through the crowd and she finally sees the hem. And how she knew that that was the hem of Jesus, who knows? But she knew that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, that everything would be okay. And the moment that she reached out and she touched the hem of the savior's garment immediately she was healed jesus stopped Now remember he's on his way to jairus's daughter jesus stopped and he said wait a minute something's changed so- somebody touched him and his disciples looked at him and they said <laughs> really? Seriously, Lord? We're in a throng of people and you're saying to me, somebody touched me? He said, this is different. Somebody reached out in faith and touched me. Because I can feel the virtue, the power, the anointing, that luminous dynamite, miracle, working power has gone out of me into somebody else. And the woman stood up in fear and trembling, and she acknowledged that it was her. And he said to her, Sir, he said to her, woman, your faith, your faith in me has made you whole. Now remember, we got Jairus is sitting here, standing here along with Jesus, and he's like, okay, great, can we get on? And all of a sudden, somebody comes right up to Jairus and says, the servant comes up and says, don't bother the master because your daughter is dead. Now, I don't know if you have ever gone before the Father God and said, I really need you to fix this now. Would you just please come with me and fix this now? And it seems like that everybody else around you is getting their problems all fixed. Needs are being met, supply is coming in, healing is coming in. But here you are. It seems like it's getting worse. And you might feel like, Jesus, where are you? Do you not hear my prayer? Are you not there for me? And you're standing in faith, and and you and you're getting out the word of God, and you're confessing over your finances that God provides all of your needs. In the meantime, so and so over here, who you don't even know if they're tither, and they just got a new car given to, them. or so and so over here who. Just was just diagnosed with cancer, and 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 all of a sudden they're healed, completely whole. And you've been dealing with this sickness in your body all these years. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but I know I have. I've been praying and believing God for transformation to happen, and then I see Sister Bucket Mouth over here. I'm not. I'm not pointing at <laughs> Becky. <laughs> Poor Becky. Yeah. Our sister, whiny, crying over here. All of a sudden, they get their needs met, and I'm like, God, "Do you not hear my prayer? Can you not hear me?" I'm reminded of this, of the psalm, of the psalmist, of, the, of David, in some of his psalms. He says, "Lord, my tears are upon my bed." day and night. I, I have cried so much that there's no more tears in me. I don't know, maybe, maybe you've never been that way. But I've been in that way. Right. Well, I'm just like, God, do you not hear? And then I'll go back to the word and I'll build myself up and I'll pray in the Holy Ghost and, and I'll get pastor in my face and he'll say, you know what? It's going to be okay. That's what Jesus did to Jairus. He's talking to Jairus. He said, do not fear. Your daughter is not dead, but she is sleeping. And they all looked at him and they were like, what? So here, as we look at the book of, of Mark chapter 5, Jesus finally gets to Jairus' house and he notices that everyone around, around the house is wailing and they're weeping and they're crying because they think that Jairus' daughter is dead. And Jesus comes up and he says to them, He says, Why are you weeping and crying? In verse 39, he goes inside, and says, Why is all the commotion? The child isn't dead, but she is only asleep. And the crowd begins to laugh at him. They begin to mock him, they begin to laugh at him. You know, sometimes whenever we're standing in faith we had people that began to laugh at us. They begin to make fun of us. They begin to tell us, why, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you even believing? I know that, that I've had people, you know, even, even in believing for our children to get their lives back on track with God, I've had people come to me and say, do you just, can, can you just settle in your heart that it's always going to be this way? I'm telling you what, there's a Holy Ghost anger that rises up on the inside of me that says, absolutely not. Now, I will tell you that then I go to my closet and I say, God, is it always going to be this way? But, (laughs) But I can only do that. I can only stand up and say, no, it will not always be this way. When we were struggling financially and we, and, and we were having a hard time meeting our, making our bills, you know, the thoughts would come, the struggle was always going to be there. But the more that we would begin to put the word of God in, the more that we would begin to tithe, and the more that we would begin to be faithful in what God told us to do, and the more that we began to see God provide the need that when somebody would come along and say to us, or say that especially the pastor, you know, you were born in poverty, you were raised in poverty, that's just the way it will always be. There's something on the inside of you, there's a Holy Ghost anger righteous anger that rises up on the inside of you and says it will not always be this way right right jesus walks into the room of this little girl with the mother and the father and he's he's hearing all this mocking and he he begins to tell them leave get out of the room sometimes in our lives that whenever we're standing and believing for something there's just some people we got to kick out of the room there's some people that we've got to say you know what excuse them but it's time for you to leave. There's just some times that we just got to look at them and smile and turn around and walk the other way. And as Jesus here in verse 39, he says, "Why is all the commotion? She's not dead. She's only sleeping." In verse 40, he says, he's, "They say they start laughing at him, and he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and the mother and his three disciples into the room. See, it's important who who who's in the room with you." Who is in the room with you? That's so important to know that. Who do you have around you? Do you have people around you who are speaking faith over you? Speaking faith to you? Saying to you, come on, we can make this. We can do this. One of the greatest um, things that I ever did was, I, besides accepting Jesus and marrying Richard, and then having my three children. Yeah, sorry, sorry, girl. And then them having my seven grandkids—that's that, pretty awesome too. But then down the line, I took up running a few years ago, and uh, thanks to Shannon, um, she got us into this. And so um, I began. And, and I'm not—I I, was—I'm not an athletic person. I didn't play sports in high school um, nor college because I didn't go to college. So. Um, Whereas Pastor did, you know, so he knew the discipline, he knew the the benefits of being athletic and, but you know, running, are you kidding me? Why would you run, you know? But anyway, she begged us to do this thing. And so I I said, well, I'll tell you what, I will start practicing running. And if by this time I can't run a mile, you're gonna have to find a different mother, you know, to do this event with you because I'm not doing it. But at, at any rate, but I, I got into it, and I loved it. And, and once we started going to different races and running 5Ks, and then eventually we did half marathons. And, uh, and you know, there's just something about being along the race. And you pass somebody, and you say to them, you're, you're doing good. It's going to be okay. You know, you're doing great. Come on, let's just go And I remember Shannon was running, was it? The marathon in Chicago was at a half marathon that she ran. We didn't run with her. Anyway, we were in Chicago, marathon. And um, she was really struggling, so we were along the sidelines cheering her on and helping her and just, you know. And and so at one point, we jumped in. I think it was along the um, marathon is 21, 26 miles. So about the 17 mile, we jumped in. And by that point, I mean, they don't care who's running the race because those that are really important have already crossed the finish line. So um, we jumped in and we start running, walking with her. And there was this woman there that was, and she passed Shannon a few times, and then Shannon passed her. And she had had, she was older than me, and she had had double knee replacements. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Shannon, you have no excuse whatsoever. And she's really struggling. I mean, she's just dragging her feet. And then all of a sudden she'd get a burst of energy and she'd run and and i noticed that she was just really really struggling and so at one point shannon shannon and richard were picking up the pace and i'm like you guys i am going to stay right here with her and i'm going to walk with her and so i walked the last three miles with this woman and along the way i'm telling her i said you know what you're doing really good you're doing really awesome you know and she and i and i say you know what let's why don't we lift up our head and let's kind of look around we were running through a neighborhood where there was a lot of uh beautiful architectural uh houses there and i said you know look at and she, negative oh my gosh she's so negative and i'm like no wonder you're struggling you know i i just want somebody to come pick me up and i'm not even in the race and so eventually, she started changing her attitude, and her feet started moving a little bit more. And we got to down to about the last quarter of 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 the last quarter mile, and here comes these people running towards her. And I said, "Oh, who's that?" She goes, "That's my family." And and I said, "Good job." And so they came up, and they're like, "Oh, we thought maybe you had passed out somewhere on the way or whatever." And, I understand that, you know. And so I looked at them and I said, let me tell you something. I said, this woman right here, you need to get her back home. You need to put her feet in ice water. You need to rub her feet. You need to give her a back rub. You need to bring her dinner. Don't make her get up and go get it. You need to bring her dinner. And, I, and she just stood up strong and just held her head up. Why? Because there was somebody that was coming along the side of her that was saying, come on, you can do yeah. it. Because it's important who is in the room with you. Yes. Yes. Jesus was in this room. And he said, he said here in verse, in verse 41, he says, holding her hand, who's holding your hand? He held her hand and he said to her, he said her name, which I can't say, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed and Jesus gave them strict instructions not to tell anybody what happened. But this is the thing, if it would have been anybody else in the room, and obviously there were people in the room before Jesus got there. Right. And what good were they? Right. They were speaking death, they were mourning, they were crying. Who is speaking over your situation? Who's coming along the side of you? Jesus is in the room with you. When we have Jesus in the room with us, everything is going to be okay. Everything. And that's what we have to keep in our minds is, is that is whenever I feel like when I'm looking and I'm seeing, you know what? Things aren't changing. It's not moving. The the, the needle on the radar is isn't. Actually, it's moving this way instead of going this way. I remind myself, wait a minute, Jesus is in the room. Yes. Jesus in the room. There's another account um, of in the scripture in Luke, uh, I'm sorry, in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we have the account of Lazarus. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were friends of Jesus, actually. They supported his ministry. And... Um, helped him along the way and Jesus loved Jesus loved this family Jesus loved Lazarus and so Jesus is out ministering and he gets word that Lazarus is dead Lazarus is dead and again Jesus says okay well it's not the death you know that you're thinking of but he will rise and, and they're like, "Well, yeah, we know that he will, but he's dead." And they so instead of Jesus leaving immediately to go with them, he waits three days. Now he could have easily gone right with them, but he waits three days. And Jesus, you know, after three days, he says, "Okay, let's let's go, let's go, let's go see Lazarus." And as he's walking down the road. The Jews begin to see that Jesus is coming. So they run to Mary and they say, the master is coming. And and they think that he's coming to comfort her and her sorrow. And so she she runs out to Jesus and and she greets him. And she says to him, oh, master, oh, that you would have been here. She was just saying, master, if only you would have been in the presence. Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus begins to talk to her a little while, and, and explains a few things to her, and, and so eventually he ends up um, in verse uh, in verse 25, he says to her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying." You know, and sometimes what we need to do is we need for Jesus to give us a word we need for jesus in the middle of our circumstances in the middle of our problems in the middle of whatever we're going through we need to hear a word from god and i've gotten many words from god from god from god over the years you know i remember a time whenever i was um i was uh I think I was a junior in high school. I was a junior in high school. I tried out for this group called, it was something like the Sunshine Group, um, but it was in the Nazarene church. It was a group called the Impact Team. And I tried out for it. It's a singing group. they travel all over the eastern side of Ohio and so we would travel on the weekends and we would sing at different churches and we'd minister to their youth and and it was it was a great time and so i tried you have to try out for it i mean so and so one thing you have to be able to sing which i can carry a tune but you know i wasn't the best singer on the team and so um as i walk as i'm walking across the campgrounds of the nazarene um, district uh, church district I hear the word of the Lord come to me, as a junior in high school, and I hear him say to me, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm telling you what, I took that word with me into the triumph. Because you don't just sing, they also interview you, so they get, you give your testimony. Of course, you know, I told them, yeah, I come from a broken fa- family, my mother remarried, we live up a holler, you know, and I, I had them in tears. Okay, that got them. You know, they didn't care that I couldn't say, you know. They just, oh, you're great, you know. So anyway, I, I, I made, but, but that word from God that I heard walking across the campground, I will never leave or And then I remembered um, just hearing God at different times in my life whenever I decided to go do my own thing. And I would hear the still, small voice down on the inside saying, you know what is the right thing to do. You know which is the right way to go. And then, of course, on Sunday mornings, i come to church and run to the altar and repair. And then Monday morning, I go back out. You know, it just took me a while to understand that my Christian walk is a lifestyle. It's not an event. That it's a journey. It's not an event that whenever I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, as a five-year-old, that that wasn't the event. That was just the beginning of a journey. And so as I began to walk my journey out, I, you know, took many different turns, not the right road, but many different turns. And one turn I was beginning, I was ready to make this one turn that I believe would have just altered my life differently than where I am today. And then the night before that I was to make this decision, I had a dream. And God showed up in my dream. And I felt the love of the Father like I had never felt before. And I woke up and I called my best friend and I said, Um, I'm not going to be able to go make that appointment. And she said, and she was was a born-again, spirit-filled believer, and she said, oh, thank God. And then she she had been praying for me, and it just altered my life completely, getting back on the right road. It wasn't an easy road. It wasn't, you know, just because I chose to make the right decision didn't mean that it was an easy road. You know, a lot of times we think, well, if I make the right choice, it'll be easy. And that's not, sometimes the right choice is always the hardest road that we're traveling. So as, I'm, as, I'm, as I make that decision and I end up going through um, a transition, a transformation in my life, 10 months later, I meet Pastor. And, uh, and of course, then the rest is history. And here we are today. But just hearing God, even in that introduction, even in that, because I, I was like, you know, as much as he says I was chasing him, I was not chasing him. I was like, please, this is not what I want or need right now. <laughs> God, strike me dead right now. Oh, That's not the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah, he knows it's the truth. But you know, as, as, as we went through that whole process, just hearing God just speak to me and having my life changed and transformed to get into the will of God, hearing God speak to me. And, you know, and then, then, you know, I, I think about the time that Dr. Dufresne came to our church Ed Dufresne came to our church in Marietta, and man, I was, we had gone through hell. You talk, if a church can go through hell, we went through hell. Right. And um, we were right still right in the middle of that hell. And Dr. Dufresne came in, he was a prophet, and we've had him here before, he's since gone to heaven. We're actually having his wife come in October for a women's meeting, and she's staying over for Sunday. She's phenomenal. I mean, we thought he was phenomenal, she's doubly phenomenal, and um, so anyway he came and and he began we didn't tell him anything that was going on in the church you know because we just believe let the prophet work in the prophets anointing. and um so he he began to just minister and he didn't really preach to the people he began to prophesy and speak to principalities and powers and rulers of darkness that we had been dealing with and he told his story and afterwards i was like you know how did you get over that? I mean, here he, his first wife ran off with his best friend. He goes, "Yeah, I really messed up with my best friend, you know." And and but then after all of that, he he ended up in depression and actually ended up on the streets. Doctor Summerall ended up uh, going to California and finding him on the streets and taking him to a hotel and just praying over him for three days in the Holy Ghost yes. and watching this man come back to life eventually. And i remember him telling i said i because i mean i was i was just wounded on the inside i was angry i was bitter i mean it was really getting deep on the inside of me and i remember him saying i remember asking him i said you know dr friend i mean all that stuff you went to i went through i said how did you ever get over it i mean how do you ever go beyond that and he said pray in the holy ghost pray in the holy ghost just pray in the holy ghost and i was like <clears throat> Well, I can do that. <laughs> I'm spirit filled, I know how to pray in the Holy Ghost. I said, okay, I'm gonna start praying again. So every time that that um, I mean it this the, the whole situation was affecting me so much that it was affecting me physically. And so and, and so every time it was the situation was mentioned, I mean I would get physically sick. And so I just began to pray in the Holy Ghost. For six months I prayed in the Holy Ghost. I mean Not just one time a day, several times a day. And I know we just had a a baptism in the Holy Spirit class, and pastor talked about it a few weeks ago. I'm telling you, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost and you're trying to live life, you need the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Spirit. When I don't know how to pray, he knows how to pray. When I don't know how to build myself up, I can pray in the Holy Ghost, and I'm built up saved my life, Save my marriage, Save me. I mean, literally, just rescue me. Six months, I prayed in the Holy Ghost. And one morning, I'm sitting in my, in my bedroom. I'm worshiping Jesus. And as I'm worshiping Jesus, I see all these people who had wronged us in ministry. They're worshiping Jesus there with me. And I'm like, no, you can't be here. This is my time with Jesus. So I I'd say, I'd open up my eyes and say, Jesus, they can't be here. And so I'd close my eyes and I'd start worshiping Jesus again. And I, and there they'd be there again. And I'm like, no, they can't be here. And I closed my eyes again and worship Jesus again. And there they were again. And finally I said, you know, I mean, three times, come on. Get a clue, Sharon. No, finally I said, I threw up my hands and I said, Father, I can't do this anymore. I need your yeah. to heal me. It was like he opened up my head and poured hot oil down into my head and I could feel it go all the way down into my inner being. And I was different. I was changed. Healing had come. Yeah. Why? Because I let Jesus come into the room so it is with Lazarus. We're still with Lazarus here. We haven't gotten raised from the dead yet. Lazarus, Jesus is with Lazarus, and, and he sees them weeping and crying, and he's telling them, listen, this isn't unto death as you know it. He said he's, he will rise again, and they're, like, arguing with him and, you know, bringing the, the, the religious spirit with them, and, they're, and he's like, oh, he's so grieved. On the inside, I think sometimes Jesus is in the room with us, and we're arguing with him about how it should be. And he gets so grieved on the inside, he begins to weep. And and finally, he just, he, with them, he finally, he began to weep, and he began to say, and they and they said, oh, it's because he loved Jesus. He loved Lazarus so much. Yes, he loved Lazarus, so but he was also thinking, you're not getting it. You don't get it and so jesus begins and says take me to the tomb and so they take him to where lazarus is buried and says get the stone And, and mary's arguing with him. jesus by now he stinks i mean have you ever been in something so long and you just let that bitterness seep on the inside of you and that no matter who you talk to it comes out and people look at you and they turn up their noise at you like like that stinks it's because it's dead on the inside of you And you need Jesus to come along and heal that deadness that's on the inside of you. And so Jesus walks up to the tomb at the entrance of the tomb. And he said, and he begins to shout into the tomb. And he says, Lazarus! All of a sudden they began to see the shadow of a man, all bound up in great grave, walking out. And they began to say, Jesus began to say, loose in life let him go? Let me tell you something today. Jesus is in the room with you, and he's shouting to you, come forth. And as that song that we sang today, out of, up out of the ashes, will arise. Your inner being on the inside of you is saying, we want to get, I want to get out of this. I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to be free. I want to be liberated. I want to be set free. And, 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 and sometimes I think that, that, that we're like, you know, we kind of like being negative. We kind of like being bitter. We kind of like, but the, but the inner man is saying, no, we need freedom. We need to be loosed and set free. And Jesus is saying to you, let them go. Loose her and let her go. So maybe today you're struggling with some things in your life. Maybe today you're like, I'm all bound up on the inside. I don't know what to do. I'm asking you today who is present in the room with you. Who is in the room with you? Jesus is in the room with you. And he's a life giver. He said in the scripture, he says, I am life. I am life, meaning I'm the zo- I am the sozo kind of life. I am the life that, I am the resurrection life. I am the life that brings healing. I am the life that brings restoration. I am the life that brings transformation. There is no other person, no one else. Listen, there's no comfort food in all the world that can bring peace like Jesus. There's no alcohol in all the world that can bring peace like Jesus. There's not a porno picture anywhere that can bring peace like Jesus. There's not a drug anywhere that can bring peace like Jesus. Only Jesus can bring the peace. He is in the one, He's the one who is in the room with you. Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 1 through 10, <clears throat> Paul there, at the, at the chapter 1, he's talking about a prayer. And he says, listen, he said, you're seated in heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, rulers, and uh, darkness. That's, who Jesus, that's where Jesus is. And then in chapter 2, he says, but God. He says, and so you were. You were once in your trespasses and sin. And in verse 4, he says, but God who is rich in his mercy toward you. And in that in that verse there, in one translation, in the King James, it says, he raised us up together. It says there, he raised us up together. And that word there is, is the word sin, sinagerio, and it means to raise up together, to raise up to, from mortal death to a new and blessed life dedicated to God. And verse six is the same word, and it says to cause to sit down together, to sit together. Listen, you are not alone. You might feel alone, Mama. This morning, you might you might have that sense of guilt that's overwhelming you. I didn't do right. I didn't I didn't teach right. I didn't pray right. I didn't do. You know, that's guilt. You might have shame that's resting. I did this. I did that. I did this. Listen, that's guilt and that's shame, and that's not from God. Guilt tells you what you did. Shame tells you what you did. But God's goodness and his grace says, listen, this is who you are. And this is who you can be. There's a difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt says, oh, shame on you. This is what you did. Conviction says, you don't want to do that. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. So we want to run towards, I know people are like, I don't want to feel conviction. Yes, you do. You want to feel conviction. You want to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because what it does is it pulls us towards the Father God. Whereas guilt and shame separates us from the Father God. Because what, what do we want to do? What did they do in the garden? I mean, whenever they felt guilty and they felt shame, what did they do? They ran and they hid themselves. And God came looking for them. Where are you? But God, in this chapter, in Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, who is rich in his mercy for me. God, who is rich in his mercy for me. So maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, I I just I just feel all that guilt, all that shame. I feel all this bitterness bound up in my life. I'm, I'm just feeling all of this anger towards people, I have anger towards myself, anger towards God. Listen, I understand the anger towards God is in and, But you know what? God's not offended or moved by it. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you. So maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling all that. And One of the things that we did this year, um, we started a, a new women's ministry called Women of Season. It's for women 55 and older. And so this past couple weeks, I asked them if they would help me this morning pray for you. And so um, if they would just come up now and um, and stand up here. So if you're in in the group, Women of Season, um, just come on up here and stand. And if you are here this morning...